Well, hello there. Welcome once again to our weekly podcast where we talk about crazy facts, interesting trivia, weird news, word origins, and to top it off, play a few mind games, but generally have a lot of fun while we are at it. I am Ratin Basu, and with me, as always, is Joy Paracharya, and this is Fact of the Matter. This week, for a change, we change directions, and we bring to you our first special episode. So what's special about this episode? We focus on the Olympics. We will share a few great stories of Olympian triumph and disaster, of struggles, of comebacks against insurmountable odds. And while we are at it, we'll also try and bring out some funny and bizarre stories around the Olympics as well. Of course, we'll talk about some iconic Indian moments in the history of the Olympic Games. Joy and I will then share our top five Olympic moments from uh, our memory. And in addition to that, we'll have our favorite sections as always, Bare Naked Lies and our audience question at the end for our hungry listeners. Hi Joy, what's up? Enjoying the Tokyo Games? I'm really enjoying the Tokyo Games and uh, I mean even researching on this one has been such a pleasure because the Olympics is just so rich with stories and facts that you know it's it's almost as you say which ones won't you tell today because you could do 50 podcasts in the Olympics. Absolutely, absolutely and um, you know in, in, a, in a very similar vein while I was actually researching some of these stories and, and, and thinking of what to talk about I had that same feeling. You could you could go on and on. However, let's try and narrow it down to some of the best nuggets we can uh, share with you. So in main course, our main section, today we'll focus on some great Olympic stories. Now, great Olympic stories are not necessarily about winning or losing. They're not necessarily about medals, about fantastic feats. Sometimes there are incidents or events which leads to greatness of a very different kind. So Joy, my first story is about an Olympic happening or an event called the Dorando Race. This is about an Italian named Dorando Pietri, a marathon runner from Italy who participated in the 1908 London Olympics. He had earlier participated in a 1906 Athens, what was called the Intercalated Olympic Games, but didn't finish. He was not a favorite. Nobody had heard of him. In 1908, in the marathon event, and he was a marathon runner, like he said, something happened around Durando, which made him world famous and gave a massive boost to the Olympic Games. And I will recite this, or I will give you some snippets from a journalist version of what happened. And there is a reason why I'm doing this, which I'll tell you later. The journalist said, I do not often do journalistic work but on the occasion of the Olympic Games, I was tempted chiefly by the offer of an excellent seat to do the marathon race for the Daily Mail. It was obviously in English. It was a wonderful experience for it will be known to history as the Toronto race. And in the article, he said, the huge crowd, some 50,000 people in the London stadium were all watching the entrance to the stadium, the dark gap through which the leader must appear. At last he came, but how different from the exultant victor whom we expected. Out of the dark archway, they staggered a little man with red running drawers, a tiny boy-like creature. He reeled as he entered and faced the roar of the applause. Then he feebly turned to the left and warily trotted around the track. Friends and encouragers were pressing around him. Suddenly, the whole group stopped. There were wild gesticulations. Men stooped and rose again. Good heavens, he has fainted. He fainted, eyes 
slid round to the dark archway. No second man had appeared. Then a great sigh of relief went up. And in the great assembly, no man would have wished victory to be torn at the last instant from this plucky little Italian. He, had, he was about to win it and he should have it. This goes on, Joy, for a little bit. You know, he gets up on his feet, the legs go incoherently, drumming hard, driven by supreme will, brilliant writing from this journalist. And he keeps falling down, gets up again. And, you know, it's a struggle between a set purpose, this journalist writes, and an utterly exhausted frame. For a hundred yards, he ran in the same furious and uncertain gait. And finally, he was basically pushed across the line by, you know, stooping figures and helping hands, etc. From under the archway, the second runner finally appeared, a guy called Hayes from the US, stars and stripes on his breast. And gallantly, well within his strength, he crossed the line. The Italian did cross the line, but the prize went to the American. Why? Because the Italian had accepted help. But the sympathy of the crowd, and I'm sure of everybody present over there, went up to the little Italian. So much so that in the end, the Queen of England presented Durando Tree with a special gold cup, Irving Berlin, the famous uh, music writer, wrote a popular song in his honor. And this exploit sparked a marathon craze that spread around the world and, you know, greatly increased interest in the Olympics. Do you know who this journalist was, Joy? It was Arthur Conan Doyle, the man who created Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> Amazing. I, I, I thought he was the guy who, uh, was he one of the guys who helped Durando? No, no. So I did this research. He was not. He, he was a... He was, he was like a journalist in a press box, only in this case, in 1908, there was no press box. He had a ringside view. He had a very good seat, but he makes it very clear. He, did, he was very close to Durando Pietri as he was coming close to the finishing line, but he, was, he did not help. As, I, I've heard this story as well, that Arthur Conan Doyle helped pick him up, but no, he did it. And you know the funny element? He says he started a subscription for him after this in the Daily Mail and that subscription realized over 300 pounds, like a lottery or like, you know, uh, get some money for this great guy. It was a fortune for Durando Petri. And he started a baker's shop after that with this money. <laughs> and, and, then, <laughs> Amazing. And, and then when Colonel Doyle uh, and his wife, Jean, uh, met Durando Petri and gave him this check for whatever, 308 odd pounds, he, they made the presentation English, which Durando did not understand. He spoke not a word of English. And when he answered Italian, these guys had no clue. So it was a bizarre presentation, but it was a fantastic Olympic story, you know, to my mind. Yeah, no, but I'm just happy given all that's happened this time that he didn't open a pizza shop because that would have really <laughs> added to all the stories going around right now. Fantastic. Okay, what's your second story? Um, but before my second story, I would love to hear your stories. Let's, let's switch it around today. Um, okay, fine. Why don't you okay, give, us, so, give us your stories? So one from me, which I just really love, it's my favorite Olympic story. I mean, there's a chap called Karoli Takaks. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. He was an ace pistol shooter from Hungary. Okay. And he was a soldier in the army. But in those days, he was one of the top shooters and he wanted to come to the 1936 Olympics. But the problem was in those days, Hungary did not allow non-officers to participate in, you know, what we call noble pursuits like shooting. Okay. So he was not in the team. So he says that I must have a chance. So anyway, public opinion changed by 1940. They're allowing athletes. But the problem, they were, they were allowing soldiers then. But by that time, the war is broken out. And just before the war, he had an accident with a grenade. Okay. And half his shooting hand was blown off. So his right hand, he couldn't shoot anymore. So he secretly starts practicing with his left hand. Okay. Wow. 
he's got 1940 1944 1948 he comes out there and carlos valiente who's a hot favorite he's the argentinian he meets him before the event and says you know why are you here oh he says i'm just here to learn a little bit you know he's not even letting on that he's participating then this guy comes unfurls a gun with his left hand shoots and wins the gold medal in 52 again he wins the gold medal so can you imagine it losing your right hand learning your, to shoot your, your left hand, hand. Yeah, your dominant yeah. hand. His right yeah, must have been his yeah. dominant hand. So you're basically starting from scratch. If you're, if you're, if you're, if if I'm understanding it right, unbelievable. Yeah, unbelievable. It's unbelievable. So Takax's story is the best story I've ever heard. So after he won the gold, the next time again, this time Valiente said, "You have learned more than enough. Now please let teach me a little <laughs> bit because I want to win some gold medals as well." <laughs> what a lovely, lovely story. And what's your second story, Joy? My second story is a story which. Uh, uh i'm i'm on shooting i'm on the shooting trip so yes in the first olympic games in 1896 you know that's the first year so everyone was just no nobody had any idea what's happening so in athens this chap called john and summer pain one of them summer was actually i think working in paris they go along their brothers they go along for the shooting event okay okay and they have great american revolvers i think they were colts which were better than anyone else's Right. so they go there and they take part in two events at 30 meters and 25 meters and uh, what do americans do while doing it they get some they have some bourbon whiskey on the side and so they keep sipping from their flask and they keep shooting <laughs> and one wins the 30 meters event the other wins the 25 meters event and because they had an agreement <laughs> that if one wins one the other one won't try very hard in the other one right and the next day onwards all the other shooters said this whiskey must have something to do with shooting so they were all trying to sip whiskey while shooting can you imagine it in the modern day olympics i mean the story all, doesn't no all you need yeah. is uh, all you need here to make it even more exciting and probably wildly improbable is to say that one of the participants was a guy called jack daniel since you mentioned bourbon i mean that <laughs> and he and he got the idea that you know maybe i should start branding it but anyway continue yeah yeah so this is not the end of the story so 5 years after this 1896 in 1901 Samna Payne who's now an Olympic gold medalist comes home to find his wife in bed with another man. Correct. And he gets so angry he pulls out a pistol and he shoots four shots at him. And immediately he was arrested and jailed and he was being tried for attempted murder. Okay? And he wow. says look it's not attempted murder. So they say why? He said dude I am an Olympic gold medalist in shooting. If I'm going to take four shots I won't hit a man in four shots that can't happen. So they said that, okay you know you're right. You were just trying to scare him, and you got a much, much reduced sentence. So I just love this story. What a brilliant says, story! As an American gold medalist, how can I miss this? It's an amazing I, story. I, I wish if, if this ever became a web series, you would probably say, "If you want, if you don't believe me, let me show you how I can miss." Why don't you stand at twenty-five <laughs> meters and and let me show you? Almost like uh, you know, one one of these famous Satyajit Ray movies, right? uh where uh, joy baba joy baba felonat where there was a very similar absolutely. scene of a knife thrower and one of the protagonists but yeah incredible uh, this is a this is a brilliant story now so my second story um is moving away from you know durando pietri and 1908 uh, coming far closer to uh, our times is uh, is around the 1992 barcelona olympics and around the game of basketball now the us dream team if you remember and i know you are a big basketball fan so you know all about it uh, you know came into the olympic uh, 
movement uh, came into the Olympic process in 1992 and professionals and therefore the NBA stars were first allowed. So they immediately became the dream team. Everybody knew they were miles ahead of any other amateur basketball team who would normally play in the Olympic Games basketball event. But just four days before the start of the Barcelona Olympics, Chuck Daly's dream team, Chuck Daly was the coach. They were finishing their preparations where? In Monte Carlo. And on July 22nd, they had a practice match, which was sort of to decide who would be in the first five and who would, you know, uh, come in later. Michael Jordan years later said, and this is why I found it so interesting, that that practice match was the greatest game he'd ever played in, in the Principality of, Mon of Monaco on a Wednesday afternoon. What exactly happened? Chuck Daly wanted to have a tough practice session with full game intensity to prepare them. And he said, let's have a five versus five duel. And because he had an embarrassment of riches, he put Michael Jordan in one team and he put Magic Johnson in the other. So two leaders of two uh, five-a-side teams. Now, Magic had already retired from the NBA by then. As you're aware, he had uh, just announced that he was HIV positive, but he was still Magic. He was still a massive, massive influence. Jordan had established himself as the best player in the league, and he, he just was coming off two uh, big NBA championship wins with the Chicago Bulls. Now, this practice match could have had 11 future and current Hall of Famers, but as luck would have it, injuries to John Stockton and Clyde Drexler uh, made sure that the number went down to nine and, you know, uh, college star Christian Lechner was the only one not to be part of that select group. So what was the team? Jordan's white team had Scotty Pippen, Larry Bird, who by then had again played his last NBA game and two explosive big men in Carl Malone and Patrick Ewing. Johnson's blue team had Chris Mullin, Christian Lechner, Charles Barkley and David Robinson. Now this match was very, very competitive. And, you know, Chuck Daly probably didn't expect this to become because neither team wanted to give up and give it, give up easily and give the other team an easy fight. So the blue team went on to a quick lead, but in the end, the white team prevailed 40-36. Jordan, of course, was the game's leading scorer with 17 points. The blue team also had Charles Barkley with 11. Hours later in Barcelona, when Team USA began their quest, None of their matches, they obviously went on to win the gold, but none of their matches, and Jordan says this, there's a very nice book called uh, uh, Jack McCallum's Dream Team. And in that, you can read more about this. And he says that the most demanding game was not in the Olympics, where they went on to win the gold medal uh, for the first time, but it was this practice match in Monte Carlo. I thought that was unbelievable. What do you say, Jordan? No, no, absolutely. It's amazing. I love that match. And of course, I'm, I have a problem because I'm a Lakers supporter and, you know, Magic Johnson is one of my favorite players. The thing about it was ex exactly Magic had a weaker team in that sense. If you look at it, he had Christian Leitner who wasn't comparatively because they wanted to have that one college player so that there's a representative. Two interesting things I want to pick up on. One is, do you know why they were there? They were there because in 1988, Okay, the last Russian team, the USSR team, hammered the American college guys. And there's a chap called Evidas Sabonis, who right. later went on to play uh, for, and he, in fact, he played this Olympic Games for Lithuania. Correct. Uh, he was the reason. They won the 88 Olympics, and then the Americans said, we've got to send our pro team. That's when dream team started happening. And, and the other great story about it is, of course, Evidas Sabonis in 92, now is playing for Lithuania. And they don't have costumes. So they said, how are we going to get? We don't have money to sponsor an Olympic dress. So who right. sponsors them? 
the Grateful Dead. So if you go and look at the Lithuanian cost, uh, dress, the jerseys in the 1992 Olympics, they won a bronze medal. They're the most incredible jerseys you'll ever see in your life. <laughs> go and check it out. It's worth seeing. Why would Jerry Garcia, was he a big basketball fan or a big Sabonis fan? I mean, where, he, where, he must have been a Sabonis fan. Sabonis was one of the greatest players in the world. So Sabonis must have put out a request and these guys must have been coked, um, not coked up high and said, hey, let's make some really cool jerseys for these guys. And tell me something, wasn't there, Joy, one other very interesting story about uh, related to a brand and Michael Jordan about, uh, about yeah, Nike, yeah, absolutely, Nike absolutely. and Adidas or something? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, personal, oh, yeah. personal what, what was that story? If you could, if you remember, <laughs> so yeah, absolutely. So, Michael, remember, Michael Jordan never wanted to sign for Nike, he actually wanted to sign for Reebok and other brands, but Nike made the offer, these guys didn't make the offer. So, by the time 92 comes. Michael is a complete Nike man. Now right. Reebok makes the Olympic costumes. So right. there's a huge fight because the big picture is going to be when they all go up to the finals to take their gold medals. Correct. And Michael said, I'm not going up in a Reebok costume. So you know what he does? He, oh, on top of the Reebok, he puts an American flag and walks up there. So nobody can say, anything. hey, I'm patriotic. I'm carrying an American flag. But he made sure that nobody had a picture of him on the podium on a Reebok costume. Imagine, so it's absolutely uh, amazing. Great story. Imagine a flag coming to the rescue, right? On a on a blatant uh, violation of brand guidelines or or, or something. But copy, yeah. there are many many such stories around the Olympics. And as Joy said, uh, you could probably spend you know hours and hours uh, digging many of these out and having great fun. But sadly, we have to move on because we have many other exciting uh, sections coming up, many other exciting areas, and we quickly move on to our next section, which is. Uh, obviously iconic Indian moments in the Olympic Games. And to talk about this, I will uh, request Joy to start off with your iconic moment and then I will share mine. All yours, Joy. Okay, I, I have a couple. So I'll start with the first one, which is, you know, really the 1932 Olympic hockey games. And the most incredible part of it is that when they arrived in 1932, the one thing I really learned is all the teams in 1932 won medals because there were only three teams. There was USA, there was Japan, and there was India. Right. So India wins one match, 24-1. The other match, they win 11 months. So 35 goals scored, two against. But the funny thing is because India was still exotic, the land of you know snake charmers and all. Right. So the headlines was there, said, hockey kings arrive today. They will be accompanied by their many wives. <laughs> and there are two liars. There are two lions in the team. So for a long time, I was wondering, who are the two lions in the team? You know what they were? Roop Singh, Singh Lion and Gurmeet Singh. So oh. they were part of the team. So they were the two lions in the team. <laughs> I'm not surprised. So it was really, really amazing. So 35 goals they scored. Of course, the great story, other story, and which is a true story, is that how did the Americans score that one goal? Basically, the Indian goalkeeper Richard Allen was signing autographs behind the goalpost when the Americans had a rare attack. <laughs> so he wasn't even there in goal when they scored the goal. <laughs> but it's so, a great story. That 32 so, Olympics is so, a great story. So talking about those goals, and I'm probably giving uh, giving away something which I'll talk about at length later. Uh, I was doing some, you know, uh, research on one of my great moments on, you know, about about Indians, uh, India's Olympic, you know, performances, and I realized in 1980. In as late as 1980, when India last won an Olympic gold in hockey, in men's hockey, India beat Tanzania 18-0 and Cuba 13-0. So, you know, even in 1980, we were scoring 
double digit goals and and you know high double digit goals so it's like you know what happened to our hockey team so we are we are not doing badly right now except one odd uh, aberration against australia but anyways let's not get into that um what's what's the second one you have joy the second one is of course about something about a city that we are both uh, we both come from calcutta chap who studied in sinzevis college calcutta as you did as well he was right. born in alipur in calcutta in 1875 a chap called norman pritchett and he was a sprinter he was a bengal sprint champion he scored a hat trick in football for sinzevis versus shova bazar which was one of the top teams then and in 1900 he was just around the time of the olympics paris olympics just before that he was in london for work and what happened was he took part in the trials and he qualified in five events he comes and he participated in for the uk in effect in the 200 right. meter sprint and the 200 meter hurdles get silver medals in both the beauty of it is because when they'd asked what club you've come from right he has said that his club was basically the uh, bengal presidency club because he is from the bengal presidency right. it came as a victory which is also credited to india so, so that's first, the reason he's so so he's technically joy the first indian medalist if, if i mean i i understand that yeah. india was under yeah, british, and he's british occupation and but, and technically also he's he's indian born i mean right. whatever he did afterwards right. what's fascinating is after that this guy after that goes back starts a jute business in the uk so you are a gold medalist you do a jute business in the uk okay emigrates to the us becomes a film star in the name norman trevor okay wow. he appears in 28 hollywood films often with leading roles you know including films like bojest and jane eyre where he's mr rochester so this guy think about it wow, participates in the olympics yeah. emigrates to england 28 films and then a uh, crazy so he he does all that of course he after that he has a brain tumor and died in october 1929 but what a what amazing a fascinating story i mean it reminds me of another hollywood um, you know uh, celebrity from those years merle oberon joy if you remember uh, who yeah. who started her life in calcutta again uh, and her name was queenie and uh, went on to you know do a lot of movies with the likes of alexander corda etc and merle oberon was very big i remember watching a movie called uh, desiree uh, about napoleon and his uh, second wife where she played the role of uh, empress josephine and uh, very similar very similar trajectory right norman pritchard and uh, wow what a what a fascinating story yeah? this mm-hmm. is this is why i love the olympics you know you, you you'll get something so my story about you know the about an indian connection to the olympics is absolutely recent i'm going to talk today about the highest ranked indian female boxer or pugilist today world number 4 in the 69 kg category um, a girl from assam called lovelina borgohain and her unlikely journey to tokyo 2020 starting in a small village called baromukhya in assam borgohain 8 years ago had no idea of boxing you know she's the daughter of a tea garden worker and came you know and and back then money was very hard to come by so speaking exclusively to a website called sportskira.com from a village during when she was self quarantining she said that you know she really discussed such things because she firmly believed that you 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 don't want to look back when you are fighting hard to win a battle and there was a time when she couldn't afford traveling outside her village because bus or train fares were too expensive she once gone to a sub junior nationals in kolkata sleeping beside a train compartment toilet with her father and you know she only wanted to do karna hai mujhe she said i have to get it done 
Now, during her first two years across various sub-junior categories, she traveled to several tournaments without proper boxing attire. And she said, my father couldn't afford boxing attire during that time. I used to ask other competitors whose bouts were over for their kit. And one day, apparently, a girl insulted her by calling her poor and illiterate. And she felt really insulted. She remember going back home and then she was crying to her dad. But then Sports Authority of India stepped in and gave her her first boxing kit, which was unforgettable for her. She procured her first pair of gloves at the end of 2013. Before that, Joy, she used to participate in tournaments using Sai regional centers or hostel gloves and had to return them as they were used by several sparring partners during training sessions. Now, coming from this background, all she had with her was her coaches and her dad. Her dad convinced her by talking about boxing legends like obviously Shiva Thapa, MC Maricom. Travel was a problem, but she did everything. She had fitness, she says. She had height. She used to do a lot of kickboxing. So, you know, she had to control her, learn to control her legs because they used to lift automatically, resulting in a violation. And in late 2017, barely, you know, four years back that her fortunes turned. Why? Because despite being under 70 kilos, she was before that forced to compete in the 75 kilo category because there wasn't a, a desired weight class. But in 2017, 69 kilo category was introduced in the Olympics. And the moment she moved, she started showing instant results. And, uh, you know, she later registered back to back world championship podium finishes as well in 2018, 2019. And right now, today, she is the talk of the town. She's the toast of India. Everybody's talking about her. But what a great story. And I'm sure there are many other stories like this, you know, from rags to riches. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes, you know, when you hear stories about people who actually have come with practically nothing and then coming to an Olympic stage with the whole world in front of them and, and, and doing one's country proud and doing one's family proud and one's coach proud, it, it, it sort of gives you a, a big boost. There's a big lump in my throat when I relate this story. No, absolutely. And, uh, you know, Sai gets, there's so many heroes, like, you know, for all the corruption in Indian sport, there are also people, there are heroes in every small town I've met. You know, I used to do the under-17 World Cup football. Everywhere, there'll be that one person who's selflessly sacrificing. And for them, these athletes come through because of them. They come through because of those one or two bright lights who do anything to break the system. Interesting, you talked about, uh, you know, getting inspired. You know, Mericom, you know, how did she start boxing? She was actually into other athletic sports. She started boxing because of Dinko Singh. And the reason why I say this is how important it is to have heroes to follow. Correct. Because once you hear about a Dinko Singh saying, okay, this person's winning medals from my state, let me try it as well. That's how sports starts. And that's why it's so important for these people to have regional heroes. And, and my biggest takeaway from the Olympics is, you know, um, in spite of all the, I mean, in addition to all, not in spite, in, in addition to all the traditional Olympic sports where India has participated, today we see newer participation in sports like equestrian events. I mean, Fuad Mirza was participating and unbelievable. Again, stories, I'm sure if you dig deep, you'll find another incredible story of how he managed, you know, we don't know of superstars in equestrian in India. And, you know, I come from the world of sports, so do you. These are people who are uh, charting uh, untested or untried waters for all practical purposes. I mean, Shiva Kesavan in Luj, uh, 
the first Indian participant in the Winter Olympics. Unbelievable stories. I mean, he would participate, he would use the luge and, and, and go underneath trucks. There's a fantastic uh, sort of snippet which I've seen on YouTube. Try and watch it, anybody. I and mean, this is for any listener. See a Siva Kesavan, how he practices going down the highway in the mountains, underneath a truck, etc., with children waving at him. What, what fascinating stories. And that's what makes the Olympics, you know, so much more spectacular and soul-stirring, if I might say. But, um, you know, while we stir our souls, we also need to keep track of time. And with that, I think we need to wrap up this section, but we have many more uh, interesting snippets coming up. But before that, before we go into a break, it's time, I think, to remind everyone that uh, if you're enjoying our podcast, Fact of the Matter, do write into us at our Gmail address, which is factofthematterindia at gmail.com. We are also available on various uh, podcast platform platforms. You can get us on Spotify. You can get us on uh, Apple Podcasts. Uh, you can follow us on Anchor FM. Um, and you can, of course, write to us at Joy Bhattacharya and at Ratindra Basu, our Twitter handles, in case you have any suggestions, any ideas for other specials, feedback, bouquets, brickbats. We welcome everything. We will be back after a short break. Welcome back. And like we were discussing before the break, uh, there's so much to discuss about the Olympics. You know, if you want, if you want to start, we'll probably never finish. But, you know, we decided, uh, Joy and I, to um, pick up five iconic Olympic moments from our living memory and try and share that with you, dear listeners. So we will, in no particular order, we don't want to rank anything. We want to start off. And uh, Joy, if you can kickstart with your first Olympic moment. So, you know, my big moments are all from the history books about things I've read, which really blew my mind. Only a few have I seen live. Uh, let me start with something that happened in 1968, Bob Beeman breaking the record, the world record in the long jump. And he broke it with a margin of 21 and a half inches. You know, world records are broken by a half inch margins, by a one inch margin. His jump was so long, the 29 foot jump was so long that he broke it with 21 and a half inches. And he was the guy who was not the favorite. The current world record holder was his teammate, Ralph Boston, and was right. also a coach. And he had another, I think uh, there was one more former world champion who was also participating, Lynn Davis of Great Britain, who won it in 64. Right. And this guy goes and just blows it all up. I then had... later they ask him. Yeah. No, I so had... then later they ask. Yeah. Carry on. So he basically later he was asked that, you know, why did you have such a great jump? And he said that, well, I have no particular reason for it, but the night before I had sexual intercourse and I drank. <laughs> so I'm not sure how that works, but yeah, that's you, the reason he gave for this amazing you, job. You are on a roll today. If somebody from uh, the Olympic charter is listening into this podcast, they'll think that it's bourbon, tequila, sex. If, if you have these three lined up and in order, you are set to win a medal <laughs> in, in any sport. I, mean, I so, so would love to believe that is the way, but um I had an uh, interesting point. I had read somewhere that, you know, a lot of people, and, and maybe it's true, maybe it's apocryphal, but a lot of people 
contextualize Bob Beeman's historic jump by saying because it was in Mexico City, which was uh, situated at an altitude, that the air was rarefied and therefore that gave him certain advantage. Is that is that true? Is that something which you think is... Look, yeah, look, it would be true to a certain extent. But hey, the other guys didn't jump anywhere close to that. Correct. The point is he broke the world record by such a large margin. See, if it was a three-inch, four-inch margin, they would have said 23 years that record was held. I mean, that is Brilliant. in Olympic history, records don't last two Olympics. 23 years this one lasted. Okay, so my first big Olympic moment, 1980, after a, you know, a tumultuous period following the Indian team's hockey debacle at the 1976 Montreal Games, India in 1980, if you remember, fielded a very young and talented side from Moscow, where you know, other than Bhaskaran and I think the goalkeeper Birbadu Chetri, there were no oldies. I mean, everybody else were making their debut. This Games is, of course, you know, uh, remembered for the US-led boycott over the Russian presence in Afghanistan. So it was a depleted Olympic Games and such. Uh, the hockey event had just six teams, uh, you know, uh, and, and therefore India was supposed to win the gold medal. However, it was not all smooth sailing. I mentioned about how they trounced Tanzania 18-0 and Cuba 13-0 and then in the semi-final, they beat Russia 4-2. But in the final, it was a 4-3 victory over a very, very you know, fighting performance by the Spanish side. And I remember, the reason why this is so uh, entrenched in my memory, I, I remember listening to the radio commentary in 1980. And I was a, you know, a young boy sitting next to my father. And uh, it was so tense on radio because he had no idea. And it was 4-3. And Spain was pushing and pushing. And when the last whistle was blown, it was more relief. And, uh, you know, Mohammed Shahid, one of our greats, scored a goal. MK Kaushik scored a goal. Surinder Singh Sodhi scored a couple. But India just managed to, you know, get a 4-3 victory. So that was my first one. Yeah, I remember I remember this because I, it was Surajit Sen's commentary. Deep right. voice of Surajit Sen. This is Surajit Sen. You know, he had the... <laughs> and he was a small man, but his voice was so big. And I remember the French, the Spanish penalty scorer was a man called Yuan Amat. Amat. And they weren't good at anything else. They just somehow try and get a penalty corner and then Amat would go and hit it. But uh, it's an amazing story. My second story is about somebody who I consider a hero, an absolute hero. And that's Greg Luganis. And Greg Luganis is an amazing dry diver. Since 1976, he was, you know, in the games. At that time, there was a great Italian driver called Klaus Dibiasi. So, you know, yes. Dibiasi dominated, but Dibiasi retired and Luganis was the man. So in 1980, he was a favorite, but he couldn't take part. So 84, he goes and he, you know, he does amazingly. Perfect 10 scores, springboard, lower diving events. He does superbly. But in 1988 is what really, really captures my imagination. Trying the springboard during the preliminary rounds, he had a concussion. I mean, I saw I that remember. accident, you know. Yes, oh I saw God. it. Too. And you said, is he going to live? Exactly. He comes back, completes the preliminaries, earns the highest score, repeats that same dive. You know how much courage it takes to repeat that same Unbelievable. dive. Unbelievable. And he won the gold medal by a margin of 25 points. I mean, there is one thing about... You know, athletes fear and we are seeing a situation with Simone Beals where, you know, it's such a tough sport and she takes such risks that yeah. she didn't want to do it again. Yeah. And therefore, you know, Luganis coming back after actually hitting himself is something that uh, it's, it's one of the great Olympic moments in Olympic history. So you, you mentioned uh, Simona Biles, Joy, and uh, apparently she had what is called a case of the twisties I was reading. And twisties is basically 
when a gymnast in the middle of her performance, let's say she's in a vault or she's in the middle of the floor exercises and she's gone up for a somersault, there is a situation which might happen where they lose a spatial uh, ability. Uh, so they don't awareness, spatial awareness, awareness, yeah, spatial yeah, awareness yeah. and ability. And apparently this is what happened on one of her walls. And apparently if that happens, then you are, you could have a very, very serious accident because you are not yeah. able to control your landing. So this is what happened with uh, Simona Biles. So yeah, again, interesting story. I didn't know it was called twisties, which I learned. So, you know, my next Olympic moment, and I have, I'll, I'll finish off with two. The really big one was, uh, again, the Los Angeles games of 1984. Um, you know, the 3000 meters face-off in the ladies athletics event between Mary Decker, who later became Mary Slaney of the US and Zola Budd, South African born, but ran for the UK uh, runner. Now, Mary Decker was America's prodigy, ran the first, her first marathon when she was just 12. 18-year-old Zola Budd was a sensation, a phenomenon at that time in 1984 and uh, was running for Great Britain. And, uh, you know, uh, it was, it, and, and the big thing about Zola Bad was she ran bare feet, you know, and the big sense of hype was because the Soviet Union had pulled out of the Olympics in retaliation for the US boycott of 1980, this showdown was the biggest story of the games. And as I don't know how many of you remember, but, you know, in the, in the middle of the race, Zola Bad went to go and went on ahead or tried to go ahead of uh, Mary Decker and they their feet touched and then they, Mary Decker fell. Zola Bud somehow managed to keep her balance, but she couldn't do well in the race. And uh, a Romanian called Marichika Puica, who actually had the best timing, by the way, of the year, but nobody was talking about her before the Olympic Games. She went on to win the gold. But this, this fall became so important that uh, three decades later, it inspired a documentary called The Fall. And apparently, uh, during the shooting of the documentary, uh, Mary Decker finally sort of forgave Zola Bad and they became, you know, friends again. But uh, this was an iconic moment. And that moment of Decker falling to the ground and screaming out in a mixture of pain, disappointment, became an iconic image of the Olympic era and made it to uh, the Time magazine. Uh, it, it was one of the Time magazine's, you know, sports pictures of the year. But, you know, they buried the hatchet. They happily came together for the launch of the fall in 2016 and uh, it was it was phenomenal and later zola bad you remember south africa right these are the days of apartheid and everything she was anyway facing a lot of flack from reporters from international audiences and thank god there was no social media and that would have made things worse for her she later said that you know in retrospect i shouldn't have gone for that olympic games but you know it things don't work out like that it happened and this this was it Coming to my last uh, iconic moment, it has to be, I'm from India, it is Abhinav Bindra's gold-winning uh, effort in the 10-meter air rifle at the 2008 Beijing Summer Olympics. It was India's first, in, uh, first Olympic gold medal since 1980, and I think India's first individual Olympic gold medal. Now, there are other Indian medalists, there's Leander Pace, there's Major Rajivatan Rathore, and there are you know, others like Sindhu and Saina and... Uh, Sakshi Malik, etc. But you know, the gold is a gold. He's the first Indian to have held, you know, concurrently the world and Olympic titles for the men's 10 meter air rifle. And I thought this was brilliant. I remember watching it and I was stunned, Joy. I don't know what you were doing that day uh, when when Abhinav won his gold. Yeah, yeah. 
No, no, I absolutely. I, I was watching it as well, and the one of the things that I remember about this, I'm mean, the moment that flag went up. So the the great story about this is told by Sharda Ugra. Okay. And Sharda Ugra was my good friend. Sharda was one of the journalists covering the games at that point in time, and she says this wonderful story because you know the entire Indian press contingent at that point they're not press. they're indians you know because the first ever gold medal so they were weak they just waiting for her to for him to win so when he wins it what happens is when abhinav bindra steps on to the podium he's in tears okay he's in tears because it's very emotional moment he's extremely emotional right zu quinan who's the chinese who came second obviously this is a home olympics this is a beijing olympics he's come second correct okay? so he's in tears because he's really upset okay? right right because you know he's missed a chance to win a gold medal on his home turf correct and the entire indian press contingent walking there in tears and the only person who's looking at all this is a bronze medalist andre akinen of finland he's wondering <laughs> what the hell is going on why is what? everyone crying why is everybody crying what is this is this a tear jerker is this a typical bollywood movie i think i'm sure no, this is a lovely story i'm sure there are uh, video <laughs> evidence of this joy i mean uh, but but i remember i mean i think we were all in tears you know we yeah because, we were all in tears indian indian medal moments are uh, still rare it's it's increasing with every passing olympic games and i'm very happy and i'm very hopeful and i'm very positive that we will uh keep improving in every aspect or in every sport in every discipline but you know how it is we are a emotional uh group of people and you know things like this do drive all of us to tears i remember it, it was it was really iconic so that sums up our top 5 iconic moments by the way we could actually have top 50 but then you know uh you would hear snoring noises from our uh, dear listeners so we wouldn't do that uh we we will wrap this up and um not to forget even though this is a special we still have our uh you know our sections around fun and frolic though we will not try and attempt any olympic record breaking feat but what we'll do is we will go into panic it lies uh, the special special section where joy and i ask each other one question the answer to which is either true or false and last week joy had beaten me comprehensively 2-0 and had qualified for a olympic medal position and now i am in wrestling terms doing the repicharge which means i'm coming as the you know the lucky loser and trying to pull one over joy so joy i am starting with this question and this is my first question for you of course this is around the olympic games so if you are ready my question to you is this two days before the games officially began in rio four years back and ahead of a preliminary women's soccer match you know women's soccer matches and even men's they start before the opening ceremony the organizers lost the key to the one of the main gates of the olympic stadium in rio much like an irresponsible roommate would always lose apartment keys during drunken night outs organizers didn't have the foggiest idea where they had left the keys to a particular gate finally nervous officials had to bring out bolt cutters and break the damn gate open otherwise the opening ceremony might have had issues true or false i'm going to go with true because uh, the how chaotically those games were organized i can believe anything 
Yes. It, but I think you have just tricked me by saying I think the only trick you could have played with me is it actually happened in the World Cup and not the Olympics. That's a trick you can play on me. But I'm going to say it's true anyway. I think once an Olympic medalist, always an Olympic medalist. That's all. I that's that's something I always say. And you are absolutely right. You are on your win on a winning spree now. This is three or two on the on the trot. Or no, three, no, actually, yeah, I, the trot. no. The second one I've got right. Yeah, I'm not yes. still not got the first three right. Okay, mine. Yes, the great, the great uh, Alfred Krupp, who made you know Krupp. Krupp used to manufacture most of the guns you know, for Nazi Germany. Correct. Okay, he participated in the 1936 Berlin Olympics as a weightlifter. Now, given the fact Joy, that I was, um, you know. Hanging around in 1936 near the weightlifting hall, and uh, I have tremendous knowledge of weightlifting. You put me in an extremely easy spot over here, not tight at all. But I will, in the interest of trying to get one point in my repertoire, I will say it is true, Joy. Okay, it... got you again. Oh. <laughs> See, he took part. No, but actually, you got. I should give you half a point because he took part in the 1936 Olympics. Right. But you know, he can't be a weightlifter. He took part in the eight meter sailing class. Ah. So sailors, you know, are, you know, you, you can get much older people. Correct. So he took part in the sailing, but he did take part in the Berlin Olympics. So point five, half a point for you. My goodness, this this seems. Uh, I, I hope this doesn't go the way of um, French tennis player Rich, Richard Gasquet, who was playing Rafael Nadal. I think in this year's French Open, and I saw one statistic where he said that over the last ten years he's played Nadal nineteen times and lost all nineteen times. And I really felt bad for Richard Gasquet, who has a fantastic backhand, by the way, and is a pretty pretty good player. Um, I think a former top ten, if I'm not mistaken. But you know, on clay. Against Nadal in Paris, <laughs> apparently he just couldn't win, John. And if I remember correctly, even this time around he lost. So if he can fight and come 19 times, I promise you, I will be back, like Arnold Schwarzenegger said. You know, I will be back. Yes. Okay. Since you told this, I have to tell you what is my funniest, funniest story from the world of tennis. And this is exactly you will you will believe this totally. There is a man called Vitas. Jerulitis. The man they used to say that he sounds like a skin disease, but he's actually a tennis player. He was a terrific tennis player. Okay, right. so in Madison Square Garden, you know, Vitas Jerulitis is playing against Jimmy Connors. Okay, right, and he beats Jimmy Connors, and then he turns around and says something. You know, he after he wins the game, he turns around and says, "Let that be a lesson to you. Nobody beats Vitas Jerulitis seventeen times in a row." <laughs> he lost. He had lost the last sixteen times. So his his dialogue. Let this be a lesson to you. Nobody beats Mr. Jerrylite seventeen times in a row. In fact, I <laughs> so, I, I remember the the full statement which was made about him, which was Jerrylite had a, a a body like Adonis and a name like a skin disease. That was Mr. Jerrylite. <laughs> That was somebody wrote in the media. But yeah, in, in, incredible story and fantastic. So that brings us, I think, to the end of this special special episode. But what we have left is our, um, you know, our contest for the hungry listeners. We have a question every every uh, episode. Last uh, week we had asked a question. Joy, you had asked a question uh, with a few percentage terms, if I remember. Can you repeat the question and give us the answer? Okay, the question was: 
who or what according to findings released in the british magazine new scientist was 83% happy 9% disgusted 6% fearful and 2% angry and the answer is this is of, of course the picture of the mona lisa you know that very enigmatic smile of the mona lisa is 83% happy 9% disgusted 6% fearful and 2% angry uh have you got a winner fantastic i mean this is a brilliant brilliant one i i think i guessed it right um i, I was going in that direction but tapas tiwari for the third time in a row and i think uh, if you hunt for some uh, triple olympic medal winners tapas you would be in those hallowed halls by now you get uh, the right answer and you're on the leaderboard and we have a new entrant here joyjit guha joyjit and tapas congratulations for getting the right answers and uh, a big shout out to both of you and uh, what's the what's the special question for this week joy then for our listeners okay the question for this week's question is this particular gentleman in the modern pentathlon okay he was supposed to be the gold medal winner he lost the gold medal out of 32 participants he lost the gold medal because in shooting he came 21st out of 32 okay he dominated the other events in shooting he got 21st out of 32 and he claimed that actually one of his bullets which was you know scored the judges said had completely missed the target he said it actually went through right through the center through another hole that was already there and the judges thought about it and said no no you aren't right and had that been given he would have got the gold medal he ended up fifth who am i talking about so just recapping the question modern pentathlon he comes fifth only because he came 21st out of 32 in shooting and he said it was disputed actually one of his bullets went through a hole that was already there who's the guy we are talking about fantastic and that's a wrap as they say in the world of movies thank you so much for listening in to our first special in fact of the matter uh, don't forget to write in with your quiz answers to fact of the matter india that's one word at @gmail.com Uh, you can also get in touch with us uh, via our uh, you know podcast platforms fact of the matter is now available as we said on spotify and apple podcasts and a host of other uh, podcast platforms you can find all these details on anchor fm where we have our fact of the matter hosting site uh, we will of course be sharing details on our own social media accounts joy and i will be doing that but Enjoy the Olympic Games. Hope you had fun listening to all that we've put out this week for you. We will come back soon with more and more. Have a great week.